Hello, welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan. How's it going? Slow week, Amy. Really? Okay, maybe not. Okay, maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah, I don't think it was a slow week for you. Nope, nope, nope. Been a long week, but it was good. Good to see you. Good to see a bunch of our friends from around the country this week here at the Executive Committee meetings in Nashville. So uh, mm-hmm. that, that was good. Yeah. Good to catch up with everyone. It was a little bit hectic and crazy. I enjoyed uh, seeing my parents and then we got to the meetings and kind of jumped in. And the hardest thing about that, the best thing about it is getting to see people. The hardest thing is you see people for about five seconds and then you have to move on to something else. I feel like I saw people less this time than ever before. Any other executive committee meeting I've ever been to. I felt... Like I was more busy and more involved in the actual meeting stuff, which is good, right. I guess, since that's my job and all. But I, I did not have the time that I would have loved to have to right. talk to people, to to hang out, just to you know grab coffee, whatever. I probably got a little bit more time than you did. I was there for one specific reason, and that was just to help the chair. You're in the parliamentarian the, queen, right? That no. Queen is not the word, but princess. Uh, yeah, so I was only serving in that capacity. And, oh, we have uh, to alliterate. It, We're Southern Baptist, parliamentarian, princess. Okay, so you know, a couple of years ago, when I was on your team, it was a lot more hectic because all the different things that the team was doing. You know, I had to be around for, and we would have to go get uh, get things, and you know, we got to get something ready. Something changes. We got to go run, print off new stuff, and gets really crazy. This I only had one major responsibility this time, so that was a little bit easier for me. Yeah. But. Well, a shout out to Amy T, uh, Amy Thompson, who works at the executive committee, who handles a lot of the board stuff. And uh, she just did a phenomenal job this week. So she was running around getting everything like you're talking about, like things change, have to be fixed. That's Amy T's job right. to get all that done. So and she did a great job with that. So uh, just a quick shout out to her. Uh, we'll jump into the news here in just a second. But before we do that, we do want to thank our sponsor each and every week. If you're looking to stay informed and engaged in the latest missions, discipleship, leadership, and political happenings in the SBC and the country, look no further than the brand new Baptist Press newsletters, BP Missions, Discipleship, Leadership, and Politics. These weekly newsletters offer insightful and thought-provoking content that will deepen your understanding and strengthen your faith. You can sign up today at baptistpress.com slash subscribe. That's baptistpress.com slash subscribe to get the content there. Uh, a lot of that from the new BP Toolbox as well. Something else we've talked about here on the show. All right, Amy, we jump into it. The EC meeting this past week, lot of news. Uh, I don't know where you want to start, so I'm going to let you just kind of give us a recap and we'll we'll do that. And then you and I, we're going to talk a little bit about maybe how we got here and in, in with some of these bigger items of business. We're going to spend a right. little bit more time on that. You probably know what happened at the EC meeting. You're listening to this podcast. This is one of those moments where you say, if you are a person who listens to a podcast about the SBC, you probably know what happened. Yes. But I love I love how you said to me, I'll just let you give a recap of the week because my goodness, it's a, it's a lot. Right. So well, we let's, have- Let's start Monday night. Yeah. We had an update from the president search team. They have no candidate at this time. So we right. thought we may have that in February. We don't. Very short update. Uh, we had an update from Marshall Blaylock. Uh, give us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Marshall Blaylock, chairman of the Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force, gave an update. And uh, it, I mean, he kind of shared some bigger picture things, shared his heart some, and then also gave an update of some things that would be coming down the pike, tool, you know, ministry toolbox, things like that. 
But of course, the big announcement from that is that the task force recommended to the credentials committee to utilize guidepost solutions uh, in their new faith-based division called faith-based solution. And that would be the group, the division that would establish and maintain the ministry check website. And Samantha Kilpatrick, who is a uh, North Carolina Baptist here, she um, would be the one that would lead that. Uh, Marshall Blaylock also mentioned, you know, he estimated the cost to build the site and get it off the ground would be 1.5 to 2 million. That would come from the 3 million that was given by Send Relief. So that was a big announcement and has generated a lot of discussion. Yeah, it has. It has generated its share of backlash as well. Uh, because of a tweet that Guidepost put out last year celebrating Pride Month. So there's been a, a lot about that over the last few months right. and more this week after that announcement. So Marshall explained all that. You mentioned right. the budget right. and, and the funding, real quick on the funding, that's the funding from Send Relief from last year, the $3 million. They still have not used that. So that right. would be funded by that. That's right. Um, he did address the uh, the tweet and some and the concerns that were raised by that. That was part of his uh, part of his report. He also addressed the process that the task force got to and the number of firms that they considered, talked to, and sort of where where they where they came down. So you actually can see his entire report and get you know kind of get that and be able to to assess there. Uh, but that was, that was what he brought. It's also important to recognize in terms of what comes next. This is not a recommendation. It was not a, it was not a recommendation yeah. to the EC or to the messengers in June. The task force recommended it to the credentials committee and the credentials committee accepted that recommendation to enter into contract negotiation. So that's where it is. But this is not anything that the EC voted on, and it is not anything that comes to the messengers as a recommendation. The messengers voted in Anaheim to set the task force free and the credentials committee to do this. They told them, they told them to do this. So where it sits right now is in contract discussion because following the mandate of the messengers, they have now gotten it to that point. Is that, that a good explanation? Yeah. yeah, I think so. So so that's the ARTF report. Marshall Blaylock gave that. He's mentioned. You can watch it online. Go to Baptist Press. Any of the stories about that, it's in the story. Uh, Bart Barber also spoke, gave an update from Hebrews 11, talking about having faith when it matters most. It was a, it was a really good talk on Monday night. And then William McLaurin gave his EC update as well. And then we got to Tuesday. And that was the the kind of the business side of things. Right. So you had a bunch of updates right. on Monday night. Tuesday was the business. Committee yeah, meetings well, yeah, in there. Committee meetings yeah. as well. And so on Tuesday, a couple of the big business points, uh, EC budget and CP allocation budget for next year was passed. That CP allocation budget total, we talk about that here every month on the podcast, a little over $195, $195 million for next year. Uh, so that'll come to the messengers in June. Uh, allocation splits stay the same. And let's see, what other, uh, there's a bylaw uh, amendment proposal that will be coming to mm -hmm. the messengers in June based on printing. If you're listening to this, you you know the finer points of the bylaws of the SBC. And a lot of things say the printing of certain information in the daily bulletin. Well, right. what we're finding is that printers aren't printing overnight anymore. And the only way to get a daily bulletin overnight is to print it overnight 
from Tuesday right. to Wednesday and even Monday to Tuesday. The problem right. there is with printers not printing overnight, it can't get stuff printed overnight. Uh, so the EC has proposed a change to the bylaws to say published instead of printed. That way, yeah. So then that allows for digital yes. delivery of that. Yes. And that has been tough. Obviously, you and then when I was on the team there, would was also I was also working on this. Very difficult because uh, the Tuesday bulletin often it has things from the EC meeting the yeah. day before, possibly if there are new items, it has things from possibly the resolutions committee who's still finalizing things on Monday. And so you don't get it until you don't, you're not able to get the whole thing done until Monday afternoon. And then Tuesday is even later yeah. because it's the business that's done on Tuesday actually gets put in the bulletin for Wednesday or, you know, if something is being pushed to miscellaneous business on Wednesday. And so you can't get it to a printer until, I mean, sometimes like 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And yeah. then if they're not printing overnight, well, uh, we're going to have to violate the bylaw then. And yeah. we don't want that. No, so let's make the bylaw, let's let's have a bylaw that fits the standard practice yes. now. So neither Amy or I are Gutenberg. So we can't print them ourselves. And that's, right. that, that's what we're up against. So that's just a kind of a, a technical bylaw change, but that was approved. And then there was the big news of the week, Amy. That was the EC deeming six churches no longer in friendly cooperation with the convention at the recommendation of the Credentials Committee. So six churches. One was Freedom Church in Vero Beach, Florida, deemed to not be in friendly cooperation because the church failed to cooperate in resolving concerns regarding an abuse allegation. Uh, this was actually a, a church that had come out of the Anglican Church of North America. And this this came up through a uh, local association and state convention, which had also deemed the church to not be in friendly cooperation. And then, uh, then there were four churches, New Faith Mission Ministry in Griffin, Georgia, St. Timothy's Christian Church in Baltimore, Maryland, Calvary Baptist Church in Jackson, Mississippi, and Fern Creek Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, deemed not in friendly cooperation for having a female functioning in the office of pastor. And those were all churches where females are serving as lead pastor or senior pastor. And then the big one, uh, Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, California, also deemed not in friendly cooperation for having a female functioning in the office of pastor. And that specifically pointed to uh, the role of teaching pastor with a regular uh, teaching or preaching presence. So that is kind of a big, kind of a big deal. Um, we got a lot to sort of dig in. We're going to dive in a little bit more on this because there's much discussion happening on that. But it may be helpful because one question that has come up is that one of these churches has indicated that they were not SBC. Can you talk? Can you talk to that? Well, can you speak to that. Yeah, I mean, you don't get an SBC ID without some kind of intent to cooperate. So at some point, right? Like they, they may not realize it now or whatever, but at some point, somebody along the way at the church, on behalf of the church, took an action of intent to cooperate with the SBC. Now, that may be, hey, we want to help give to Lottie Moon. That may be, we want to give to the cooperative program. That may, whatever it may be. I don't know what it is because I don't have that data. That that usually goes through the states. That's they just have an ID number. That people go through and get an ID number is through the states. Right. So they had an ID number. And there's, you can't just go in there and go, hey, you know, Amy's church says they're not SBC anymore. So we're just going to take them off the, the sheet. Right. 
Right. You can't do that. It's a legal thing. So we have to have like a legal action. They have to like give us something that says we're at not SBC or right. the credentials committee does what they do. And right. they didn't answer the mail, it seems, based on what the report was. Right. And here's another piece to this. So you and I both worked in these processes before, and there are times that the credentials committee has had um, an inquiry and has reached out to a church and the church will often respond and say, we actually intended to leave the convention. We thought we were already gone. Like we intended to do that 20 years ago. We voted that as a church in, you know, 2002 or something like that. And so the response by the credentials committee was like, okay, this email, you know, or this response that takes care of it. You, you are, are doing that. And uh, I, I actually don't, have the the data on this in particular, but part of this, I think, was that they didn't really cooperate with the inquiry, meaning if there's no response, there's not, you don't have that from them. So what you have in that situation is a church that at some point did, it never got resolved. This is the resolution to that. And because they didn't respond to any of the inquiries or the you know, and I don't know, I have no idea what they might say, we don't remember receiving it. Maybe it, yeah. I, I'm not sure. And, and again, but, the, what the Credentials Committee is doing here is not an intent to shame or anything. It's just saying that this church is no longer a Southern Baptist church and can't seat messengers at the annual meeting. But right. that does bring us to a question about the annual meeting, because we have at least one of these who says that we are planning to appeal this decision at the annual meeting per bylaw eight. Yes. So one has already has already stated that. So let's talk about where this goes next. So bylaw eight, which was voted into the constitution in 2019. So it's about a four-year-old bylaw to establish the credentials committee. Um, it states that when an issue arises between annual meetings, whether a church is in cooperation with the convention. So that would be these four churches that that popped up, you know, through submissions, the credentials committee considers the matter and then uh, they form their opinion. It says they they have to form an opinion that the church is not in friendly cooperation as described in Article 3 of the Constitution. And they submit to the executive committee a report stating their opinion and the reasons for the opinion. So then the executive committee considers the report and determines if they agree with the opinion. And that's what we had happen this week. That's right. At that point, the executive committee their decision is final unless there is an appeal. All right. So at this stage, the executive committee's decision is final, does not have to be approved. All right. Now, one of these saddleback was actually submitted both through, you know, the, the portal, but also on the floor of the convention. When that happens, the committee can do one or the other. If an issue arises about a church during an annual meeting, They shall consider the matter, review any information available to it. When they're prepared, they recommend to the executive committee or at the earliest opportunity, they recommend to the convention. So this was proposed, this this was asked on the floor of the convention in 2021 about Saddleback Church. The Credentials Committee has been working on it. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. They came to the conclusion, they formed an opinion and it says, when prepared, recommend to the executive committee. So that's what they did. Yeah. All right. So when they submitted to the executive committee and the executive committee made their decision, now we're at that spot where it's final 
unless there is an appeal. There is no mechanism in the bylaw for the executive committee to say, we just want to defer to the convention. They they vote either yes yeah. or no. So if, if the executive committee had voted no on a church this week, it's closed, it's over, it's done. Right. Now, someone might resubmit. Yeah. Uh, but if they do, it starts Stuck, the whole thing all the over starts again. Over, yeah. yeah, that's right. So, in terms of people saying, "Well, we want this to go to the convention," at the moment that the executive committee got it, there that's is no their more only option. option. Yeah. Also, the credentials committee forms an opinion and makes the recommendation. Credentials committee can't say, "Well, we just like to let the convention decide." We don't have an opinion. They have to form an opinion. That's how it gets to the floor. So they did, they had, took everything they had, they formed an opinion, they sent it to the executive committee, the executive committee looked at what they brought, and they voted, and decided, we agree. Now comes the appeal process. So here's how the appeals process works. A church can appeal the decision to the convention by submitting a written appeal to the chair of the credentials committee, that's Linda Cooper at least 30 days before the convention's annual meeting. So they have between now and mid-May to say if they want to appeal. Then Linda Cooper, the Credentials Committee chair, immediately notifies the Credentials Committee, the chair of the Committee on Order of Business, that's Spence Shelton, and the president, Bart Barber, that an appeal to the convention has been lodged. The reason that it goes to Spence Shelton and Bart Barber is because they need to schedule. Gotta get it on the, that's right, got to get it on the order of business and the chair needs to know. All right, then the registration secretary, Don Currents, shall notify the convention of the appeal in the initial registration report to the convention. So obviously, we're going to already know it's going to be in the order of business. It's going to be put in Baptist Press, things like that. But according to the bylaw, we just talked about this with the bulletin. There are certain things we have to do. When Don Currents stands up there and gives the registration report, he's going to say there is an appeal that is coming and it will be this afternoon. And trust me, y'all, we're going to have, there's going to be thousands of people there. I'm telling you, it's hard to believe, but there will be people in the seats who have no idea that this has been happening. And so it needs to be announced to them. What does this mean? Uh, yeah, it, it's so surprising, but it does happen that there are and that's okay. people that they just go to the convention every year, but they're not tracking all the news. And that's great. Yes, that's their that's right. Okay. And that's why we have to do all these things. That's why, uh, yeah, that's why we have to put them in bulletins and announce from the stage and things like that. We need to make sure that we have made it very clear. But I really wish they would listen to SBC this week. I know, I know. So the convention considers the appeal during a time established for miscellaneous business on the afternoon of the first day of the convention. Now, we don't know for sure. I, I actually don't know from the development exactly why this was put in there. I'm going to assume that the first day, Tuesday afternoon, that's when the bulk of business is done. That's when the most people usually are in there. But it also is early enough that if an appeal were to be successful, like if the decision is overturned, those people immediately get to be seated as messengers. So you don't want to do this like on Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. You do this. Because then you're basically you disenfranchising them the entire convention. That's right. Until the end. That's right. So there's a time established for miscellaneous business on the afternoon of the first day on Tuesday afternoon. And then here's how it will go. The question before the messengers will be, shall the decision of the credentials committee and the executive committee that name of the church is not in cooperation with the Southern Baptist convention be sustained. So a yes means they are not in friendly cooperation. 
a no means back. we overturn. Yeah. yeah. So we, I mean, that'll have to be crystal clear to everybody what yes means and what no means. So it's a yes or no. So one representative of the church under consideration and one representative of the credentials committee or executive committee shall be permitted to speak to the question subject to the normal rules of debate. So our normal rules of debate give everybody three minutes. Yeah. So it's one from each group, the church and then credentials or executive committee. Yeah. They can decide who's no back and forth on the floor. No points right. of order. None That's of that. That's right. No, no one else gets to weigh in. It's just one. You, you hear each perspective. Then when debate is concluded, the convention shall vote whether to sustain the executive committee's ruling. And if the ruling of the executive committee is reversed, then they immediately get registered and seated. So it's each side gets to speak and then it's an up or down vote. Done. Simple. So not so simple, but yeah, that's where we are. Yes. A lot going on. We're going to talk a little bit more about this in just a minute, but that's the news of the week, and we're waiting to see if any of the other because, and it's not just these; it's anybody between annual meetings, right? So the churches that were removed from cooperation in September were a couple of those, as well as these. They can also appeal. So we'll find out, I guess, later in May if if that is made public because that doesn't have to be made public. I don't think per the, per the bylaws, it's helpful, but it doesn't have to be. But we'll find out later in May if and when. We will have that on uh, probably, you know, whenever we have the the Committee on Order Business uh, schedule, whenever they release the schedule of the annual meeting, we'll have the, right. the kind of that time slot when to expect all that. So, yeah, should be interesting. All right. That's EC News. Anything else you want to cover from the week, Amy? Uh, what? There's a nomination. Uh, uh, Jay Atkins brought king cake, by the way, and it was delicious. Yes. One more piece of business. We have a, another nomination announcement, Amy. That's right. So Nathan Finn will be renominated for the position of SBC Recording Secretary. Uh, Florida Pastor Dean and Sarah will be uh, making that nomination speech. I cannot wait to hear what he says. I am sure for those of you who know Dean and Sarah, something will be said about Nathan Finn not being a jabroni, since <laughs> that is something he loves to Look, say. I would only do that if he's not opposed. Like, I mean... If you have, like you did last year, like you had a little bit more leeway because you have somebody right. running on a post. Right. I don't know if I'd break out the jabroni or the, the stuff like that if there are other candidates for that position. That would that would be, you know. Right. Right. That would best. probably not be very nice, but it, it is. Because in is effect, you're calling the other guy a jabroni when you say that. Right. Right. You don't want to do that. But no. it is a it, it is a, a Dean and Sarahism. Yes. And well, so we'll see if it. It's a, it's it a, comes up. it's a rock, isn't it? I know it's a, I know, I know it has some, it's something with wrestling. I'm not sure, but wow. Um, this, yeah, this hurts. You need to listen to my other podcast with sorry. Dean, uh, pro wrestling this week. There you go. Anyway, the, uh, the, the Baptist press release about that is up, but so far we've got what this is. This is three now. So Bart Barber being renominated, uh, Jay Adkins being nominated for first vice president, and then Nathan Finn being renominated. So most of our news really was about the EC. And, and there's a whole uh, host of story links. There's some other, and there was discussion that kind of got into about audit report, things like that happened in, in plenary, which I, you know, you know me in math. So that's always not as not as simple yeah, well, for me, but I, just but I listen. A quick note on that. The investments of the executive committee were cut in half last year. Uh, due right. to legal expenses, the guidepost investigation and that. So that that is kind of a big thing. I I, I don't want us to skip over that. That feels like we should have right. given that a little bit more time. But th we don't have the final numbers. So 
Right. Um, you've, but it, it but that. it was significant. Yeah. And that sort of came that. Yeah. And that came in the plenary and a discussion on the floor. Monty Schinkel asked some questions. The new um, interim CFO was there to to address that. And that is significant. So yeah. we don't want to miss that. Um, I, we just kind of got swept away in all these other things. So you can see deeper, you know, coverage on that in the, the Baptist press stories. Yeah. And one other thing kind of related uh, the, the last news item we had on recording secretary, uh, there was an actual a, approval of a bylaw change of the EC bylaws, which would go into effect now to make it where the ex officio offers of the executive committee, the WMU president, the SBC president, and the SBC recording secretary are ineligible from serving as officers of the board or on the president's search team. They can serve on special committees that may be appointed here and there, but they cannot serve as a president search team member or as an officer of the board. That comes in response to, speaking of, Jay Adkins' motion last year at the annual meeting that wanted to eliminate the position entirely from the board uh, of recording secretary. So just a, a quick note on that, kind of some, it's weird how all this stuff dovetails together. Yes, very much so. All right. Well, that's the news for the week, and that's going to bring us to This Week in SBC History. Amy, blow our minds. All right. So I decided, as I do every now and then, that I am not going to bring you anything because I think this week was one for the history books. So uh, this week in SBC history, I'm going to focus on 2023. I think that what happened, particularly related to the executive committee actions on the five churches for having a female pastor, it was a, a historic step. Um, it was a significant precedent. And quite frankly, I mean, first of all, you mentioned that um, at least one has already indicated their intention to appeal. I would anticipate a second. Um, but if that happens, unless all of them, I mean, obviously you have the one that has said we're not, we're, we're not, it's not our intention to be affiliated. But if all of them were to appeal and the convention did not want to sustain, then that shifts it. But if only a couple of them appeal, you're going to have ones that were removed for this reason. And it's the first time. So it was a significant step in a long process. And as I started seeing a lot of the conversation in response to this, um, most on social media, but you know, in other places too, I was receiving a lot of questions. I thought, you know what, we need to think through how we got here, not just on the issue of women in the office of pastor, but also how we got here in this whole process in what it what, what we're doing in terms of declaring in terms of determining cooperation. Um, so I uh, I think instead of going back to some kind of fun little trivia piece, I want to talk about the historical moment this week and I want to think through how we got here. You know I've been talking about this for the last couple of days, uh, ever since I got back home. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how we got here. And guess what? I'm going to go all the way back to 1845. Yes. Yes. We did not get here overnight. And I think even the, you know, the, there are there are different opinions that I see out there about these actions that the executive committee took. Some people have said the executive committee is finally doing what they're supposed to do. They're taking the stand that we said we would in all of these things. And other people are saying this is a rogue move. It's out of step. We never intended to do this. And I think it's not as simple as that, because when we begin to look at the steps of how this unfolded, 
everything is more complicated than we than we initially assume it to be. So I want to think through how we have approached cooperation standards over the last 170, I guess now eight years. So when we go back to 1845, initially we just said, this group said, it shall consist of members who contribute funds. It was all about money. The people, because it was about pooling resources coming together. And we're going to, let's be honest, because you always need to be honest. This came out of a split from um, the convention that they were already a part of from the Triennial Convention, but there was a disagreement over whether uh, slaveholders could be sent as missionaries. And so they broke apart, but they essentially developed a convention that was based on the same type of cooperation, which was to say, we are a bunch of autonomous churches who want to pool our resources. And so it was based only on contributing funds. And so it begins on that basis. We have changed a lot of our views on some of those things over the years, but the basis for cooperation was that you bring your money, you get a vote, we pull our resources together and we send. Yeah. As long as you're and giving after your that, end, basically. And after that, for about the first 100 years, it basically was just about that. It was basically just about, about funding. Um, now, it's, it's important to remember that in 1845, we also didn't have a statement of faith of any kind. Now, when Southern Seminary started, they, they, yeah. When Southern Seminary started, they started as a confessional institution with the abstract of principles. So this is what we are teaching under, but there was not a convention statement of faith. That's right. So that comes in 1925. Um, E.Y. Mullins being instrumental in that, that's coming out of the fundamentalist modernist controversy. I'm not going to go into that too much because we don't have time. Uh, if you want to know more yeah. about that, read Suffice Baptist History to books. say, the more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> right. But that be- that gets established, but it's established with an understanding that this is not a creed because we are not a denomination. We are autonomous churches. And I mean denomination in the like bigger sense of- yeah. Like Presbyterians a- or Methodists and everybody's right. directed top down. Right. No hierarchical, it's autonomous churches. And, but this is our statement of faith about what we have consensus on. All right. So that comes in 1925. It's amended in 1963. We'll get to 2000 in a minute. But bishops, by the way, I want to throw that in there. Yeah. You have that establishment. All right. So that comes in 1925. It's existing out there. 1948, something gets added in to the constitution. And instead of it just saying something about funds for years, it sort of changed back and forth, but it was always related to money. It actually adds for each regular Baptist church, which is in friendly cooperation with this convention and sympathetic with its purposes and work. That's a pretty vague, pretty vague. Yeah. yeah. What does that mean? Well, we know it when we see it kind of thing. Right. But it puts it in there. It's not really put as a cooperation standard necessarily, um, but it just mentions in there like we cooperate together, we're friendly, and we sympathize with the purposes and work. It makes it a little, brings a little bit more of a kind of, I guess, a a feel or a- Just a a collegiality, um, maybe? Yeah, maybe something like that. It's, It's not just about put money in. Yeah. All right, so 1992 comes, and we're on the heels of the conservative resurgence. Lots of battle lines have been drawn, and something comes up at an EC meeting. So this doesn't happen on the floor of the convention. Uh, T.C. Pinckney, 
Colonel Pinckney. And if you don't know who he is, uh, you should go look him up and find out. Um, this is uh, one of those things that is always helpful for me to remember that we have people who are instrumental and influential in our processes, and they seem to really loom large. And then in 15, 20 years, when they're gone, the new group of people doesn't, doesn't really remember. So I'm they probably- They not Joseph. Yeah. So I'm probably saying a name that a lot of listeners don't know, but Colonel Pinckney was very instrumental in a number of things that happened in the 80s and 90s. And quite frankly, I was part of the SBCV in the 2000s, and he was always there. He put out that Baptist banner. We got it. Well, we talked about him when he died last year. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talked about and him on the podcast. I, you know, he had this long beard, and he would stand up. And when he stood up and talked, everybody knew who he was. All right, so he's on the executive committee. In 1992, he proposes a constitutional amendment at an EC meeting. And, um, and like it, from the floor of the and, EC meeting? Yeah. I need to go back and read about this. And it is specifically related to homosexuality. So the concern was that homosexuality was being promoted and making progress. And we wanted to protect the Southern Baptist Convention from a nickel and dime whittling away of standards and promoting acceptance of homosexuality. That's a quote from Colonel Pinckney as he was thinking back on it. The context was Poland Memorial Baptist Church in Raleigh and Olin Binkley. Um, I think maybe Memorial Baptist Church in Chapel Hill, a uh, little side note of trivia. That was uh, where Dean Smith went to church. Um, those also churches, Binkley Chapel, by the way. Yeah, those churches had begun. Yeah, Olin Binkley was the first president of Southeastern Seminary. Those churches had begun to move on that. Fred Wolf, uh, who was also on the executive committee from Mobile, Mobile said, mm-hmm. said, I think the churches, you know, laid down the gauntlet to Southern Baptists. We got to take a stand. So Colonel Pinckney stands up and makes the motion to actually put something in a constitutional amendment. The EC already did a resolution that year uh, about basically saying we are against this, but they wanted to to draw a line. So that motion went to the bylaws work group, which is a kind of under an old structure and uh, asking them to come, you know, to to recommend this to the convention. So. They did, and that comes in 92 to the convention. Remember, constitutional amendments have to, t- they take two years, two-thirds vote. And so at this point, it starts to say that member churches, uh, that a church that cooperates is in friendly cooperation with the convention and sympathetic with its purposes and work. Among churches not in cooperation with the convention are churches which act to affirm, approve, or endorse homosexual behavior. So straight up sentence. Yes. So this is where we move from, hey, these are the people who are in, to these are the people who are in and the people who are out. We, we have right. drawn a line with this. Before, the line was kind of ambiguous, but now you have not only who is in noted in the Constitution, but also who is out noted in the Constitution for the first time. That's right. That's right. So they and they knew what they were doing because this uh, this article from the executive committee meeting uh, from Baptist Press in 92 said that they had some debate over it. They began to they were concerned about fear or there were there was discussion about the possibility of a lawsuit by someone excluded from participating. And Fred Wolf said, I don't care if 10,000 lawyers tell us not to do it. So they, eyes wide open, knew what was happening here, that this is significant. So this happens in uh, 92 is when they take it, and then 93 is when it goes into effect. So here we have a, a very specific line, and this is a simple one 
for whatever group, whether it's the credentials committee or the executive committee or whatever, this is a simple one because it actually said, if churches act to affirm, approve, or endorse homosexual behavior, they are not in cooperation, full stop. It is so it just, there it is. There's the line, go apply it. So piece of trivia in 1999, Colonel Pinckney actually was the one on the floor of the convention to propose the Baptist faith and message study committee. Uh, he said, Blue I move that in, that's right. I move that in your capacity as Southern Baptist convention chairman, this is to uh, Paige Patterson, who was the president at the time, you appoint a blue ribbon committee to review the Baptist faith and message statement with the responsibility to report and bring any recommendations to this meeting next June in Orlando. So that kicks off the change. So Amy, should should he should that have been ruled out of order since he asked the Southern Baptist Convention chairman to do this and not the president? No, because the president who is elected is the chair for the annual meeting. So okay. that's the uh, that's that's what he was asking. Yeah, this happens, and then we all know we've read a lot about the development of the 2000 Baptist Faith and Message. And one thing that we have read about is there is a lot of media coverage from that time, where in there where there was were tons of questions about this sentence um, in Article 6 on the church and how it addressed women. All right. So uh, what it specifically says, while both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture. All right. So that goes in there. Uh, in According to media reports, there was a lot of discussion saying we are we are not trying to to limit anybody. This vote is not binding on local churches. And there are quotes from Adrian Rogers, from uh, Dr. Moeller, who was on the committee. We would never presume to tell another church whom they may call as a pastor or tell another person whether or not they may serve as a pastor. We're not trying to force our beliefs on someone else. Um, so that's, that's what that's was a said quote, at the time. By the way. Right, right. That's what was said at the time. Uh, Adrian Rogers said, we don't have the right, the authority or the power to limit anybody. We would resist that. What we are stating is what we believe mainstream Baptists believe. It is not a creed. It is a statement of what most of us believe. But it was binding on entities. And this happened pretty, pretty quickly. And I remember this. I was working at Southern Seminary. Uh, all of our faculty had to sign it, including adjunct faculty. That was part of the steps in the hiring process. Um, I remember stories of IMB missionaries and some of them struggling with the requirement to sign it. Um, but that wasn't really a surprise. Nam from, missionaries from what as was well. Coming. Yeah. I mean, that's right. That's right. Convention wide, like you said, like this is our state of beliefs. We're going to hire according to this in our convention entities. That's right. And there was a lot of discussion and there. And there was even acknowledgement at the time. There was an SBC Life article that talked about how there were some churches still with female senior pastors, um, including Fern Creek was mentioned in that story. Uh, but it also said fewer than one tenth of one percent have a woman serving as senior pastor. There was a, a study by Midwestern Seminary. Um, that 99.92% of the local congregations adhered to that. So it was kind of this idea of like, this is the majority of our churches. We're going to do our work under this. Very few, uh, there, even though we acknowledge there are a few, but very few do it. All right. So very quickly, I'm going to move, I'm going to move fast in the next little bit. 
some things begin to happen in some states. States start putting in their bylaws or in their constitution that they could expel congregations that didn't adhere to the Baptist faith and message. So this is not happening on the national level, but some states were doing it and local associations. So uh, Josiah Hawthorne, who I don't know, but uh, is on Twitter, had a thread that talked about this a little bit, pointing out Michigan, Florida, other things. Um, in 2007 in San Antonio, the Garner motion comes that really was talking about not adding to the Baptist faith and message uh, as a, a like the abstract of principles or something. He was talking about entities. But in that, um, he said uh, the motion said uh, that it is the only consensus statement of doctrinal beliefs approved by the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, it's talking about a guide for trustees, uh, but when he was talking, Garner uh, said it was the doctrinal capstone of the conservative resurgence. So that was actually about still, this is only for entities, but it is the main thing. This is the main consensus statement. So at this point, it's still not in the constitution. It's not anywhere there. Fast forward to 2014. We had a big overhaul of article three that comes from the executive committee. It was a new proposal for cooperating standards, primarily financial. It was a, there was a lot of discussion and about it. Was really it. Most about, of it. Like, messenger representation, like how you got messengers. That was, that was like right. the, the crux of it. But there were these other little pieces in it that, that now we are really dealing with. Right. That's right. So as they were doing this, they added something. They, they added a, a sentence. So here was the first proposal. First proposal for Article 3 is that it would say a cooperating church has not intentionally operated in any manner demonstrating opposition to the doctrine expressed in the convention's most recently adopted statement of faith. That is a mouthful. Um, and then it put the homosexuality question in parentheses by way of example. Churches which act to affirm, approve, or endorse homosexual behavior would be deemed not to be in cooperation with the convention. So where that used to be a straight up, we're going to draw this line, it actually begins to say, this is an example of how the the Baptist faith and message could be used. Indicating All right? there are more right. ways that, could, that you could not intentionally operate right. in a manner demonstrating a... Yeah. All right. So... But there was a big backlash to that wording. So that happened in, in the the February um, in, in the February EC meeting of 2014, and a bunch of people came back and said, "We don't like that. We think that it might be used to command a rigid doctrinal conformity, even on matters which historically we have agreed to disagree." This is from Ernest Easley, who did a Q and A. That a bunch of people didn't like that. He was like the chairman that. of the so, EC at the time, by the way. That's right. That's right. So they changed it in June of 2014, going into the convention in Baltimore. They changed it to has a faith and practice which closely identifies with the convention's adopted statement of faith, and then they kept that by way of example. Yeah. So they they took um, it from a a negative into a positive. Also, that's right. So, and they addressed the concerns that the earlier revisions could have been interpreted wrongly. So Ernest Easley said. Um, the earlier revisions have been interpreted uh, or they, or that people were afraid they could be interpreted to impose a confession of faith upon a church. And Ernest Easley said that perception was never our intent. So they adjusted it to say uh, a faith and practice, which closely identifies. Um, so the 2014 executive committee, it was never our intent to impose a doctrinal confession of faith or to impose a confession of faith upon a church. 
Um, so that goes forward. And now we have faith and practice that closely identifies with. 2016, a motion comes asking for a constitutional amendment to add racism uh, as a dividing line. Yeah. Remember, that was the Confederate flag resolution year. That's right. That's right. So in 2017, the EC declines adding that to the Constitution. And their response is that they believe that the convention's previous resolutions and its adopted statement of faith, the Baptist Faith and Message, speak clearly and adequately to the issue addressed in the suggested amendment. And it is already possible to challenge the friendly cooperation of any church on any grounds via the motion process. So their point was that it's already there. That the Baptist faith and message speaks clearly to it, that resolutions have spoken clearly to where the convention is on this, and that the mechanism is already in place through that faith and practice to say, you already can do this. And in 2018, the executive committee did just that. They said that Raleigh White Baptist Church of Albany, Georgia, that was disfellowshipped based on racism, that it does not presently meet the definition of a cooperating church under Article 3, and messengers should not be seated at meetings of the convention until they declare repentance. They're, the only basis they have is faith and practice that does not um, closely identifies with. That's the only thing that they had to go on, and they made a determination that this issue, and I'm assuming from what they said in 2017, they could base this on resolutions and um, Baptist faith, the message that that's what they appealed to. All right. So in 2019, we get new constitutional amendments um, and by law eight. And there are a few iterations that's in uh, in response to the uh, sexual abuse issues that had had come to the surface. And so there are a number of uh of iterations that that went through on sexual abuse, but they decided to go ahead and add racism at that time. Um, so we get a few more. Those are the ones that are enumerated. So homosexuality is still up here in parentheses as a by way of example for faith and practice. And then two more are enumerated. And the sexual abuse one actually says like, does not act in a way contrary to the convention's belief on abuse. Um, which again kind of opens the door to look at resolutions and, and things like that. Um, so that moves forward. And now uh, we get that's finalized in 2021. Now let's get really quick to where we are. Um, in 2020, there's some conversations that began. There actually was a conversation on the briefing, uh, which I'll have, uh, which is, is Dr. Moeller talking about a study that said, you know, evangelicals were more open to women pastors. And he says, in all of our churches, I don't think there's a single one. Um, so we got the link there and, and put that on the transcript. Immediately, some folks start popping up and saying, I can find one. I can find one. I can find one. And so they start surfacing this conversation, pointing to various churches that have that. Including Fern Creek That's right down the road. Including from Fern Seminary. Creek. I remember when that popped up. So a little bit of conversation begins to start talking about, do we have churches? Um, in 2021... The Instagram post heard round the convention. Um, there is an ordination service that sparks discussion. It's three women at Saddleback Church, all in um, all in in 
roles that are more like children and, um, you know, middle school girls, I think grief counseling, but they gave them the title pastor and they ordained them. This is a little bit difficult here because it's, it's confusing as to what they're actually doing. They're being given this title. Ordination is not referred to in the Baptist faith and message at all. You can't really apply that. Um, but it sets off a firestorm. There was a, a, a tweet, Tom Askell, who later became a, a presidential candidate the following year um, or presidential nominee the following year. He uh, put out sort of an all call saying, hey, everyone needs to needs to send in, uh, needs to submit to the credentials committee. Dr. Moeller did a op-ed on his website where he said this was a test of the Southern Baptist Convention, said that it was a, a test of, of whether or not we were going to uh, stay, stick with our statement of faith, that we were at a moment of decision, no longer a point of tension and debate. Um, so he puts he really put that out there. Right now, Southern Baptists will decide if we will redefine the doctrine of the Southern Baptist Convention. I do not believe that Southern Baptists will allow this to happen. So it begins to be, what is the Southern Baptist Convention going to do about this? And then a motion comes. So it's already being submitted because people are uh, are putting out this call to to send it. Shad Tibbs from Louisiana says uh, a motion to break fellowship with Saddleback Church. And so now the process starts. This is where in 2022, the Credentials Committee comes back to Anaheim and says, we've been looking at all these things. We're looking at what the Article 3 says. We're looking at what the Baptist Faith and Message says. We're looking at this situation. And essentially, now I've got all, we've got all the Baptist press stories. Essentially, they're saying, we don't know. We're not sure what to do. This is unclear. Dr. Moeller comes to the, the floor. He was on the original Baptist Faith and Message Committee, says, I don't think this is unclear and we don't need to do this. Then there was a friendly amendment that came from Adam Greenway saying, I think we're asking the wrong question here. Maybe we need to be asking, what does it mean to apply the faith and practice closely identified with? That amendment failed. On a ballot the credentials, uh, right. The credentials committee said we will withdraw our recommendation and we will go back and get to work. Yeah. And, um, and then, because you mentioned the, the ordination part, like the next month, that's when they really hired Andy and Stacy Wood as the pastors at right. Saddleback. And that kind of changed right. things because that, that's different than the ordination thing. That's a, now you have a teaching pastor, which is what the right. credentials committee re- referenced. They didn't even mention the ordination thing. Right. So essentially, uh, if I can simplify it, the credentials committee came to the the messengers and said, this is messy and we need help figuring this out, figuring out where the convention stands on this separate from people and personalities. And essentially the convention said no with their vote. We no, we are not going to help you. And the credentials committee had to step back and say, okay, well, we'll go figure it out. Meanwhile, a constitutional amendment, uh, a motion was made to amend Article 3 to add, does not affirm, appoint, or employ a woman as a pastor of any kind. And then that motion was uh, sent out as a, a big open letter with getting all kinds of signatures. The AC still has not made a determination on that. They just are, are continuing to discuss 
discuss that, but that elicited a response from Bart Barber and Jared Wellman. So this continues to be a live discussion about where we're where we're going to draw the line. And it comes amidst lots of other conversations about the Credentials Committee and about steps that that we talked about an inquiry the other day into Highland Park. Folks are asking, can can they even do that? Um, the reality is the questions about, you know, this doesn't violate autonomy because this is about deciding what's in friendly cooperation. It's not telling a church what to do. It's just saying, are we going to be together? So we we are talking about lots of procedural issues, lots of questions. Um, the reality is this has been a slow march to the spot that we are in. And the credentials committee and then the executive committee were left with all these pieces. And this is the decision that they came to. Uh, so it is clear that the convention wants to talk about this. There are people on every side. They want to say, where, where do we draw the line? Um, and I think we're going to get, we're going to do that. Um, or we're going to, you know, we're going to be able to see that in new Orleans in some form or fashion in some form or fashion. Yes. Uh, yes. So that's what happened this yeah. week in SBC history, Jonathan. Yeah. The TLDR version of that. It's been a long time coming and we finally hit it head on this week. Right, right. And uh, one last thing I'm going to make a call for and then give a little update, a little personal update, is that if you care about this. Oh, yeah. Then what you need to remember is decisions are made by those who show up. Yeah. If you want, if you want to be part of this discussion, come to New Orleans. And, um, and because that's where this happens, not on Twitter not anywhere else. Those uh, tweets can put your can put your uh, thoughts out on this, but they don't do they don't take action like a ballot does. And so uh, if you if this is something that is important to you, then you need to go. Having said that, Have decisions you said that? are made by those who show up. I am not going to be part of this decision. Amy's not because showing because I am going to miss my first annual meeting in 13 years. 2010 is the last one I missed in, in Orlando. And I will a, not be in New just Orleans. Just a terrible reason, by the way. I mean, just a no good. This is a terrible reason. I can't believe you're skipping the convention for this reason. Well, uh, we talked about that this will be sometime on Tuesday afternoon. It's going to be impossible for me to make it in time uh, because at noon Eastern time, I need to be in the Raleigh Convention Center for Drew's high school graduation. So look, there'll be another graduation next year. You can go to the one next year. Uh, he won't be there. Well, so, I mean, uh, details, um, details. Yeah. So I am going to miss yeah. what it, what could be one of the one of the more historic conventions of our de- of our time. Well, um, and X2 we'll app, for, baby. The X2 app. It's that's right. Uh, but you know what? I, I, I'd rather miss that than miss Drew's graduation. Yeah, so I it's going to so. be a big going to be a monumental day in our family. So I will be one of the people that is uh, watching by live stream when I can, not during the graduation ceremony, but I would encourage people to uh, to attend. I will miss seeing all of you. Man, I got to talk to the scheduling department over in the Wake County School District and, and have a chat. Well, it's, I mean, it doesn't matter if you do that. It'll be too late at that point. I don't have any more kids. So, well, yeah, it's true. Well, we're yeah. going to miss you, and I, I'm joking. Like that—that's a decent reason to miss the annual meeting. Yep. Yeah. I mean, well, so this, but this discussion—I'll forgive we just you had, this time. Don't let it happen again. 
Thank you. This discussion we just had, I have shared all the links and they are um, they're going to be in the show notes. And that's actually my resource of the week. I okay. got a bunch of links that I'm going to drop in the show notes for this kind of historical timeline that I gave. Yeah. So as we cross the hour mark on the podcast here, thanks for sticking around uh, for all of you who did that. Amy dropping the big news at the end there that she's not going to be in New Orleans. Uh, Amy, we're going to miss you because New Orleans, my resource of the week, has the best food in America, in my opinion. And Jay Adkins and I sat down and talked about it for about half an hour on this week's edition of The Road to New Orleans. So it's a really good show. It made me hungry watching it again whenever I had to watch it to review it to make sure it was good to post. And uh, yeah, it's it, fantastic. It's probably my favorite episode yet that we've done of The Road to Wherever. And and you've been on a couple of those. Sorry, Amy, you're, you're, you're now in second place on on those but the 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 episode jay and i did with this we had so much fun with that he had a blast i had a blast and we got to talk about a lot of different foods and restaurants and different things to do in new orleans so be sure to check that out uh if you're going to be in new orleans unlike amy who won't be there and i don't think i'm going to let you live that down by the way until we get past new orleans and then may you know just imagine last year amy there was one vote that separated a runoff that could have been you missing the convention well, well, here's the deal. Summit Church will send its full slate of messengers. Okay. I just won't be one of them. That, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Okay. That's a good point. So so if you're like me and you can't go, but someone else can, that's an opportunity yeah. for your church to be represented. Yes, absolutely. So if you've stuck around this far and listened to it, we really appreciate you. If you didn't, I understand. We went really long today. This is a long episode. There's a lot of particular information in today's episode. So we may, Amy, you and I might need to do something like this in video form or whatever and kind of walk through these these diagrams and these or walk through these steps and where we got here uh, later on, maybe on a Facebook Live or something. We might need to do that uh, just to kind of explain this a little yeah. bit more to folks so they understand where we got here. If this wasn't, like we said, this wasn't an overnight thing. We've been marching right. toward this. For a long time, starting you know, kind of all the way back in 1845, the big change in 1948, another change in 1993. That's kind of the big change there, in my opinion. That's the shift where we went for from saying who's in to who's in and who's out. Um, that's kind of the, right. the groundwork that laid the groundwork for the decision that was made this week. Well, and I think 2017 and 2018 of saying yeah. we don't need a constitutional amendment in order to apply this. Yeah. And then the next year actually doing that, yeah. like applying it without a constitutional amendment. So I think that also and then the next the year, door. adding a constitutional amendment about it that we just said we didn't need it. So it, which there were, I mean, they they had reasons a lot of for reasons that, and to, you can yeah. right, and you can look again. All these links are there if you want to spend the time in the rabbit hole I was yeah. in. So. But but I, I I do think it is something to be discussed about adding a litany of things that are in or out because like where does that ever stop? Where does that ever end? I, right. I don't know. So I think that's that's a conversation that's being had right now across the convention in, in different ways. So a fascinating discussion today. Thank you for doing all that digging and the research on that. Like you said, we'll put the show notes in there. May do another little video episode about this to try to tighten the um, the information up for folks if they're interested. And uh, Amy, I'll see you next week. See you next week.